The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Let me ask you this weekend, what's your number? If you're anything like me, maybe you've gotten a little bit sick and tired of all the numbers that just keep scrolling on your screen, on, on Zooms and social media outlets. I mean, there's a number for everything. It changes minute by minute, hour by hour, 24 hours, just constantly giving you a new number. There's a number for everything. There's a number for how many positive COVID cases you got in your own city, and you know which neighbors of yours are now sickened by this sickness. There's a number for the unemployment rate in our community. You can see how the economy has just crippled our city streets. And now you know which neighborhood and your businesses behind your backyard are boarding up their businesses and and, and which ones gets to stay open, which one of your friends are going to get laid off, and, and which one get to put food on their family's table just for one more meal. And there, there's a constant number that's constantly scrolling of the death toll during the season. How many people have passed during this pandemic via a virus and violence through injustices? And there's constantly a new number in front of us. And then there's numbers that are not so new, like poverty and homelessness. Did you know that Washington County and Franklin County, one out of 10 residents, are literally living in abject poverty? That's higher than the national average right now that leaves hundreds of people in those two communities, those two counties, without shelter, without a place to call home. Literally, when they go into our in-person campuses or when they hear us say, welcome home, some of them, this is the only home that they experience on any given week. Where I'm trying to get at is simply this. You don't have to look very far to see that there is a number in front of you. You don't have to look very far to see that there is a great need around you. My question for us this weekend is this. Have we grown numb to the need around us? Have we grown numb to the numbers because they're not new to us anymore? If we're not careful, there's, there's a sickness that perhaps we've all been kind of sickened with during the season, and, and it's not COVID, and it's got us a little bit number numb. Then I realized that this sickness is not just in our cities. It's all across the globe. I remember going overseas one year, and on paper and on picture, y'all, this place was like paradise. But behind the scenes, there was brokenness, there was poverty, there was homelessness. I remember looking outside of our bus, and there were numbers of people crowding around this bus, asking, begging for stuff. And one of the local guides told us, don't make eye contact with them. As a matter of fact, more importantly, don't give them any money, because the moment you give them money, more people will actually ask for more. And it's easy to become desensitized by all the statistics, because numbers, they're dehumanizing. Can I just be real? It's easier for me to just drive down the street and look down when I see the person with the cardboard sign that says, I'm hungry, because it's less awkward for me to to face numbers than face their faces. See, numbers are, are numbing, and it's easy for us to become desensitized and overwhelmed when you got countless stories just vying for our attention, vying for, for, for our dollars, vying for our help and our support. And what happens when we become overwhelmed by all these numbers is it just becomes white noise to us. 
I mean, quite frankly, what can one person do to actually help with such a big need like poverty and homelessness? It's either my kids get to eat or yours don't. It's either I have a home or you don't. It's either I go broke or I help out your business. Can't we just give the, the people who are more prominent and, and have a lot more power to, to, to start with the, with the pressing issues? The bigger, the bigger people with the bigger resources to tackle the bigger problems. But that doesn't seem to work, does it? No amount of stimulus checks can, can help us out of this economy. No, no amount of, of power can get the impoverished people out because it seems like those who are most prominent impoverishes those in the lower class. And there's, there's an overreach in authority. There's government crossing their lines. There's abuse and misuse. And it's easy for us to allow the statistics and all the stories to sour our spirit. It's easy to allow the sickness through all the statistics to turn us cynical and to turn us critical. Maybe you got a home of your own, but you're still living out of place because you're still living in that pain. So you still feel homeless. Maybe you got all the resources in the world, but it seems like the problems have got you in need. And you've allowed the, the sickness to, to sour, to sting you with the, with the sickness of, of guilt, with the sickness of anger, with the, the sickness of abandonment and broken promises. And what happens is when we all get stung with the sickness, we get stung with this poison, this poison that, that once it stings us, it sickens those around us. If you can relate to that state, Jesus knew exactly what it was to talk to a bunch of individuals like us. You see, he was speaking to a crowd of people who were impoverished, who felt like they were out of place. As a matter of fact, when he sat down and he began to preach, he opened up his sermon by saying, blessed. I mean, whenever a preacher opens up a sermon and say blessed, it tends, to, it tends to put your ears perked up a little bit. And he says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. They may have not been poor in resources, but their hearts were poor. Their, their, their encouragement was poor. Their emotional state, their mental state was poor. And he, and he said about a different kind of home because they had felt so ostracized in the place that they had lived in. And he said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. He, he spoke to them about a different kind of home, heaven. You see, the Jewish people, they were ruled by the Roman Empire, these people ostracized them, marginalized them, murdered and beat them, overtaxed them, underpaid them, and the Jewish people had grown angry. They had just grown fed up. They'd allowed their residence, the place where they were currently residing, to root in them revenge, to root in them hate, and they felt like revenge was their right, and they've allowed their impoverished state to change and sour their perspective and whenever they couldn't get revenge out on the Roman Empire, they, they took it out upon themselves, their own people, their lesser, weaker, and poorer people. Because isn't that the case at times? It seems like once we're stung with this sickness, it, it actually sickens those whom we love primarily, and very rarely does it actually strike those whom we hate. And all of a sudden, the number and the needs grow bigger and bigger while our hearts, they grow number. And, number. and so when they looked at Jesus, they looked at Jesus as the scapegoat. Jesus was going to be the viper king that would take out the Roman Empire. He was going to be the king in charge to overthrow Rome. 
Jesus began to speak to their hate-filled and, and hurt harboring hearts about a different kingdom. He said, I'm not trying to create a government policy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to instill a personal responsibility. I'm not trying to build a physical kingdom where I overthrow Rome. I'm trying to build a throne upon your hearts. He had realized that there, there was a, a different king that was over their hearts that had caused them to think that the place that they called home should create the habit that they ensued hate towards the people around them. He said, you need a different king that's in charge, and this is what it would look like if I was the king. And in the book of Matthew, he records this teaching of Jesus. He said this, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He was, he was talking to a group of people that had allowed their persecution to, to impoverish their perspective. And he said, look, I know you feel poor right now because you're being persecuted. But can I just remind you, when you are persecuted, it's just a mere reminder that I've got a promise for you. You're, 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 you're creating in you a habit because of your home right now. But I, I want to show you that there's another way. And, and he began to tell them that if you follow my way, you will get mistreated. That, that people will begin to, to, to harm you. They'll, they'll talk evil about you. They'll lie about you when you follow my way. And he begins to continue to teach them about this way of, of forgiveness. And Matthew continues to record this. He says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's an easy thing for many of us to probably follow. It's easy for me to love the people I like and not love the people that don't love me back. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but watch this, Jesus, a game changer. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He says, I, I know that you heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I'm telling you a different way. Because right now you've allowed your impoverished state to change your perspective. You've allowed the persecution around you to make you poor in spirit, and it's got you thinking that once I get repayment for their abuse, then I'm going to feel like I'm filled. Then I'm not going to feel so broke anymore. Once they, they start welcoming me in, once they stop ostracizing me and stop abusing me, then I'm going to feel at home here. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 you have a different home, a heavenly home, and that's, and that's heaven. And that home is going to dictate the habits that is around you. So what do you do when the policies don't work and it still leaves you impoverished? What do you do when, when it seems like the plans and all the paychecks and everything still leaves the home and the heart in great need? What do you, what do, you do when it seems like People in your community, people in your city is still living out of place, still living in the same pain, still living in the same hate, still living in the same abuse. How do we respond? There's a principle here I want to challenge us this weekend, and it's simply this, to love those who don't deserve it. Jesus said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I know you heard it, and it's easy for us to follow. But I say something different. I want you to love your enemies, and I want you to pray for those that persecute you. What? I, I want you to love those 
that mistreats you. I want you to love that coworker that keeps talking bad about you. I want you to love that boss that keeps putting overtime so that you can't see your family anymore. I want you to love that classmate that keeps bullying you. I want you to love that person that has, that has spoken death and negativity over your life. And more importantly, I want you to pray for them. Can you imagine the, the, the kind of pushback he must have gotten from all the people? Jesus, I want to settle the score with a sword, not with love. These people murdered my family members. These people robbed me of my resources. You're telling me to love? How is that even possible? Jay, you're telling me to love? How is that possible for me to love my boss? How is it possible for me to love my coworker? How is it possible for me to love my spouse? How is it possible for me to love my kids, how is it possible? It's impossible for us to love in this way because this love, before it's given, has to be received. And it only comes from God. But you see, every single one of us, we have been stung with this sickness that has impoverished our perspective, that has caused us to look at God as our enemy. I will love the things that destroy me, and I will... I will hate God. See, this sickness poisons our perspective and causes us to draw further and further away from God towards destruction and eternal judgment. And God saw the state of our sin. This is why we, we operate with such impoverished thinking. It's because of what biblical authors call sin. Sin is any action, any thought, any intention that goes contrary to who God is. And this sin, it, it separates us. But God, seeing our sin, seeing that we deserved punishment, loved us so much that he sent Jesus. He knew we were, we were too broke to offer him anything, and so he gave first. He loved first, and he sent to us his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus came in this earth to, took on, to take on our punishment, our penalty, the sin judgment that you and I, we deserved and so you ask, how in the world can I love someone who don't deserve it? The first thing we have to realize is that we have to receive forgiveness you don't deserve. We have to first realize that we ourselves were not deserving of the love of God. That's why Jesus had to come and, and to take on the thing we deserve, which was judgment, so that he can give to us something we could never earn or work for or even deserve in our lifetime, which was God's eternal love. And so all of our shame, our hate, our, our punishment was heaped upon the life of Jesus and in his death. He defeated death once and for all, so that those that would believe in Jesus by faith would be forgiven and granted a new life. Jesus said, when you love in this kind of way, you show that your Father, which is in heaven, when, when we believe in Jesus by faith, we are signifying that we have a Father in heaven, that our home is not where we technically reside in, that has a physical address. Our home is in heaven, and that dictates now the way that we walk about our daily day basis. And so, how does this work? God's spirit, which is invisible and eternal, and makes his home in our spirit. The spirit that, that operates in rage, that causes the, the residence that you're sitting in, your mental state, your emotional state, your physical state, to root in it revenge and rage, it moves out. And the spirit of God moves in. Say, I'm a child of God. I now have a different habit because I got a new home. I don't have to operate in, in a poverty perspective because Jesus already gave me full payment and a promise and a reward, and it's waiting for me in the mail in my new home. And that's what takes place. So how do we actually love people who don't deserve it? I want to give us some complimentary thoughts, and the first is this. 
forget there, there's there's a complimentary thought here forgive those who don't deserve it the next one guys real quick so i want us to forgive those who don't deserve it so there is a prayer that jesus taught his disciples these folks had followed Jesus all throughout, year by year, watching Jesus operate. And when Jesus talks about this love that, that you can give to people who don't deserve it, it's going to show that you have a Father in heaven. They're asking Jesus, well, teach us how to communicate to this Father of yours, this, this Father that fills you with love. And he begins to teach them a prayer. And in this prayer, he began to explain to them about first receiving forgiveness. Guys, can you jump back to that prayer? And he says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What I don't want us to miss is this. It's the same breath in the same sentence. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Literally, Jesus is saying, you have to be first a receiver of God's forgiveness, and then once you receive it, it's got to flow out of you. You've got to be a reflector of it. God, help me to cancel all of my debts, but Lord, help me to, to forgive my coworker. God, help me to, 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 to stop saying all these things. God, forgive me of my debt, but God, help me to love my neighbor. In the same vein, I receive it. And now I reflect that there was a pastor by the name of Pastor Saeed. He was wrongfully and unjustly imprisoned for four years in a notorious prison in Iran. And once he got released, people were wondering, how did you not allow your current state, your residence, to sour your perspective and keep you as a prisoner. And this is what Pastor Saeed says. When we forgive, we pour out the poison of the enemy and of the devil. And we don't let that poison stay in us. And we don't let the poison make us into poisonous snakes. So that we don't become like the person we despise and who persecuted and tortured us. I forgave the prison doctor who did not listen to me and did not give me the medication that I needed. I forgave the interrogator who beat me, who wrote every day, he wrote every day, I, when I would see the interrogator and for the last time when I saw him, I forgave him. I smiled at him and with respect shook his hand and I said, my goodbye. You, you would probably wonder, how in the world can you love like that? What unforgiveness tends to make you think that you are a judge and you are a jailer. And you get to sentence the person that wronged you with the amount of, of time that they need to serve because they deserve it. Not knowing that in the end you are the prisoner. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison hoping the other person dies. When we begin to, to see the unlimited supply of love that God lavishes us with and then begin to calculate the amount of forgiveness someone deserves, it cheapens the grace and the forgiveness we received. What tends to happen is when, we wrong, when someone wrongs us and they can't repay us, we'll just let them know, hey, you owe me. You better pay me back. But what forgiveness says is I'm waiving the right for repayment. I'm waiving the right for payback. I'm waiving my right to abuse you back. I'm waiving my right to hate you back because I've already got a reward. But the moment we want to receive that right, we have to be ready for the repercussion. And this is what Jesus begins to talk about. He says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. 
What forgiveness does is it frees us from the poison. It, it, it opens the prison door and leaves the person that wronged you free of their debts. It frees you from that prison cell. It heals you from that poison of, of, of hate and abuse, and it heals you. And Jesus is saying, if you desire to continually have your debt canceled, you've got to unconditionally love. You've got to continually forgive. You've got to give out of what has been given to you by God, not the other person. Secondly is this. We have to give to those who don't deserve it. Matthew says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father that is in heaven. So, he said, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. There's two things that takes place when you begin to give to those who don't deserve it. One, you're freed. Two, you become generous. Because you realize that no amount of repayment from the other party can actually make you any more rich. Because you've already gotten your reward. And so all of a sudden, you become generous to those who don't deserve it, just like you and I. And so... There is a kind of love that we are challenged with. You see, in, in, in English, they only have one word for love, but in the Greek, they actually have three. They have the word eros, which is for romantic or erotic love. They, they have phileo, uh, just like in Philadelphia, which means brotherly love or familiar love. And then they have agape love. This is the kind of love that Jesus was talking about in this passage of Scripture that is unconditional love, regardless of the condition, regardless of the circumstance. And this, is, and this love is selfless and sacrificial. And Jesus is saying, I want you to love people who mistreat you like that. You may ask how. Pastor Saeed was asked a similar question, and this is what he said. Maybe you ask, what's the secret of being so happy in such a hard situation? Check this. Forgiveness and a change of attitude. When we forgive, we become free, and we become messengers of peace and reconciliation and goodness. And he says, and whoever stings us, we can take into our embrace and love them. And in this dark and evil time, we can live full of love and full of peace and full of joy and shine like the stars. Glory be to his name. In order for us to love and give in this way, we have to, we, we have to make sure we make a conscious decision that I'm going to love you before you mistreat me. That before Monday comes, I'm already choosing to love you. Before you can say a negative thing about me, I'm already choosing to love you. Before you can even ask for forgiveness, I've already granted it to you. Before you could even misuse me, abuse me, I'm already choosing to make a decision to love you. And then follow that up with actions, and then your feelings will follow. Some of us, we're waiting for our feelings to come first, but if we wait for feelings to come first, we'll never unconditionally love. So how do we truly love individuals? Jesus kind of lays it out here. You pray for them. He said, I want you to pray for those that persecute you. I want you to pray for your tormentors. I want you to pray for your accusers that God would rescue them, that God would radically change their hearts, and that they would find new life in Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He looked at every single person that lied about him, every, every sin that they accused him of, and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even when you can't get physically close to the people that mistreat you and abuse you, you can still pray for them. 
You can still talk to them uh, about, you can talk to God about them and, and, and ask God to radically change their hearts just as he did with yours. And you can begin to, to ask for God's best in their life. I'm not saying that you go back into that toxic relationship. I'm not saying you go back into that toxic relationship. Uh, um, uh, Friendship. I'm not saying you go back to that toxic environment. What I am saying is that you would love them enough to want what God's best for them truly is. And that means you selflessly serve people who were formerly your enemies. Let me ask you, which one of your family members right now could, could benefit from you actually selflessly serving them? Maybe you're waiting for that mother-in-law of yours to start talking nicely to you so that you can actually start loving them and serving them. Maybe you're, you're waiting for, for that boss of yours to give you a raise for you to actually give them that extra step of service. Maybe you're, you're waiting for that coworker to be nicer or that neighbor to not be so annoying. I'm not speaking about any neighbor by any chance, but you're just waiting for them to be nicer. And, and, and maybe you'll just wait forever, but if you choose to give first, You'll see God's generosity and goodness begin to change hearts. Because who's to say that one small act of generosity will not soften the hearts of those around you and transform them through love? And lastly is this. We're challenged to celebrate together with those who don't deserve it. Matthew says this. He said, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He said, rejoice and be glad. He neither encourages persecution or he causes us to run away from persecution. He's just saying, your rejoicing is your reasonable response to the rejection around you of your faith. Why? Because your rejoicing in the middle of rejection is a reminder that your reward is not here, it's there. Your, your reward is not in this place because this place will keep me poor, but my reward is in heaven and my, my God has already paid it in full. That's what happens when we begin to rejoice when mistreatment comes because it shows that we're forgiven. My, my debts has been canceled. My slate wiped clean. I'm a new person. I'm brand new. I don't have to operate with an impoverished perspective. I got a king as my Lord. And he gives me everything that I need. And he supplies everything that I need. And, and it changes because we realize that God has given us everything in life, in love, in this life, and in the life to come. And that's hope. And hope reminds us that when mistreatment comes, come on, someone get the, the worship music playing because it's reminding me that my home is in heaven, that I'm not home yet. I got a praise in me today. When, 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 when persecution comes and it's trying to impoverish me, it reminds me I got to praise because my payment is in full. I've got a reward from heaven. I got a reward from my king. If hardship comes, and it reminds me that I'm not home yet. It shows me I have a new habit, a habit of love. And we begin to worship him because our hope is not dead. It's living. It's alive. And if for you this weekend today, you've never experienced that hope and you need that love, I want to encourage you right now. That hope and that love is only found through faith in Jesus. If you're any one of our campuses or you're watching online right now and that's you today and you're saying, I need that hope, Jay. I need that love. 
If you're ready to take that step to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, would you let us know? Simply text this. I want you to text Jesus to 41411. Whether you're online, let someone know in the comments. You're in person at one of our campuses. Let someone know while you're there. We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. If today you've already made that decision, let me ask you, what is stopping the flow and the freedom of God in your life? Maybe there's some forgiveness that you need to offer to someone right now that you've been withholding. But let me just tell you, God is, is saying, I'm ready to swing do- wide open those prison doors for you. If you would, just, you would just free that person, who's that person that God's calling you to forgive? What is that one thing that God is asking you to give right now? Would you take a moment? Would you pause? Would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.